You're listening to The Basics of Life with Rob Salvato, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Vista in Vista, California. These are the basics of life. Well, welcome to The Basics of Life. I'm Rob Salvato, and this is the interview edition of our program where my role changes from Bible teacher to interviewer. And I personally love these editions because I have the privilege of having some great conversations with people who are making a big impact for the kingdom of God in this broken world of ours. And today my conversation is with Dominic Doan, who has written an amazing book called When Faith Fails, Finding God in the Shadow of Doubt. Of Doubt. Uh, welcome to the program, Dominic. Thank you so much. It's, it's great to be on. Yes, I'm great to have you. And Dominic, you are more than an author. Um, you're also a pastor. Can you take a minute and just introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, so I live up in Portland, Oregon, and I pastor a church called Westside, a Jesus Church, and then I'm also a professor at uh, George Fox University. And uh, yeah, we've been up here for about seven years total. Um, actually, I have some roots down in, in Southern California, um, in, in Vista, and uh, before that in England. Um, but for this season, yeah, we've been up here, and it's, it's been a great journey. That's yeah, that's awesome, and uh, I've heard just I hear just amazing things about your church and um, what God's doing there. And a little bit of a backstory for our listeners: I actually have known Dominic since he was a little kid, and his family attended our church here at Vista. That's right. And to be honest, Dominic, it took me a little while to actually pick up your book because I knew you as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so it just seemed kind of weird to me, like, what can this kid yeah. teach me? But I actually found your book to be amazing. And um, and I have read a fair amount of books. You know, every year I read a fair amount of books. And your book was by far the best book that I read this year. And oh, wow. uh, you are a great writer and uh, amazing stories. And for a young guy, you've been to a lot of places and have had some pretty cool experiences, which I found made this book really, really fun to read. And um, Oh, man, that, that means so much. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and we've been fortunate to get to live in a, a number of different countries and have some fascinating experiences, some of which I talk about in the book. Yeah. And, and, you know, the subject of this book is really, really important and the content is very, very rich. And so before we begin, I just want to thank you for actually writing this book. Yeah, um, I it's something that was kind of years in the making, um, part of it coming out of my own life and then part of it uh, from a pastoral perspective, wanting to help people who are going through seasons of doubt. Yeah. And, you know, I think we naturally have a tendency to, to view doubt as a bad thing. In fact, someone might even uh, call it a sin to doubt. Mm -hmm. um, but you suggest that doubt can have some upsides, that doubt can actually produce some good results. In fact, you said in the book, doubts aren't just an obstacle. They're an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uncertainty. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you yeah, elaborate and, on that I mean, idea a little bit? Yeah, when you, I mean, when you look in scripture, there's a definite difference between doubt and unbelief, and we can talk about that later. But um, often, I think in some versions of Christian subculture, uh, we have a perspective on doubt as 
doubt is the great evil, or if someone's struggling with doubt that they're kind of shamed or marginalized, or they feel that, you know, church or Christian community is in a safe space to express their uncertainty. And so what happens then is people begin to suppress their doubts and their questions, um, which is actually a pretty unhealthy response to doubt because I think doubt's greatest strength is secrecy. Um, it's only when we drag it into the light that it can become actually redemptive. Um, there's that verse in Jude, verse 22, where it says, be merciful to those who doubt. And that, that word mercy is so rich. Um, it, it actually means to repair a broken bone. Uh, so when someone's doubting, um, they're going through a time of tremendous pain, uh, even loss. And what they need from the church and, and fellow Christians is not judgment or sarcasm or looking down on them or thinking something's wrong with their spiritual life. Uh, what they need in that moment more than anything else is, is our love, our, our, our faithful presence in their life, and, and our mercy. Mm. That's so good. Um, and I, I can't agree more. And, and it's one of those things, though, that that people, it's like you said, they're there can be a secrecy, like no one wants to admit that they're struggling with doubt. And, you know, you point out that the main point of faith is relationship with Jesus. And I love the way you put mm -hmm. this in the book. When you say faith isn't about containment, it's about possibility. Faith is skin on skin closeness, affinity, relationship. But to get there, sometimes our certainties need to be shattered, our formulas disrupted, our questions unanswered, and it's there in the depths of relationship that we encounter not a list of religious cliches, but a person where friendship is born. And I think that's a huge discovery that that I think for every believer to come to. When and how did you kind of come to that revelation, the importance of that? Yeah, you know, I, I think many times, um, especially early on in our Christian walk, we, we have a faith that we, we want it to be based on certainty. And certainly there are things in our faith that we can be certain of. But what God is more interested in um, is, is trust and relationship. And life's messy. Uh, life has ups and downs, ebbs and flows, and hardship and chaos and hurt and wounds. And as we go through those seasons, um, it's there that we can encounter not necessarily a long list of answers, but we can encounter the presence of God. So, you know, one, one example that was helpful for me here was C.S. Lewis. And uh, he wrote this book called A Grief Observed, which um, just to warn the listeners, if you read it or, or pick it up, you, you know, it, it's, uh, it's pretty heavy. Um, and, and the reason being is because he wrote it right after his wife, Joy, died. Mm -hmm. he, he was only married to her for like four short years uh, he describes in the happiest four years of his life. And then when she died, it was the most devastating. And uh, it was, I think about a year after she died that he began to write this book, A Grief Observed. And he originally published it under a pseudonym um, because he didn't want people to know it was him. <laughs> and the book came out. And it, again, if you've read it, you know that, uh, man, like he's just pouring out his questions in real time. There's not really any answers, just like raw ferocious questions. And he, he wondered where God was when he needed him most. He wondered why God wasn't answering his prayers. Uh, at one point in the book, he says, I came to the door of prayer and all I got was a slam door in my face. Um, at another point, he calls God the great iconoclast where he's like, 
my view of you is being disrupted. It's being shattered before my eyes. And so you're reading this, you're like, oh my gosh, I mean, here, talk about doubt, uh, deconstruction, someone who's really wrestling, wondering if, if they believe anymore. But what's so beautiful about the book is you keep reading it. And, and what you find is Lewis, he actually begins to put his face back together, um, goes through a time, not just of deconstruction, but reconstruction. And on the other end of that, um, he has a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. Um, so th- there's this line in another book of his called Till We Have Faces. And uh, I-, I love this line. He says, I now know, Lord, why you utter no answer. Mm. You yourself are the answer. Mm. Before your face, all questions die away. What other answer would suffice? And it's almost like Lewis had reached this point of where it's no longer about, okay, I've got to have every single answer and all my apologetic arguments lined out, as important as that is. He reached a point in his relationship with God where it was about trust. It was about intimacy, um, kind of like what you see in the book of Psalms, the, the kind of faith where you have room to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or how long, O oh Lord? Or as for me, my feet almost slipped, you know, these poignant phrases that you see in the book of Psalms. And and that's the kind of faith I, I think is more authentic. It's more real. Uh, it, it's not afraid uh, to wrestle with some of the ache and anguish of the world and the messiness of life. And, and it's a, it's a relationship that's built on, on trust. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to answer your question, I, I really believe that when we wrestle with God through our doubts, Rather than being an obstacle to our faith, if we lean into them, press through them, wrestle with God, um, on the other side of that can be trust and intimacy. That's so good. And you know what? I, I, I love how you put in the book that um, it's impossible for us to fully understand God, but God isn't really asking us to fully understand him, but to trust him. And mm-hmm. um you know, you, you put that so well, and that's such an important truth for us to understand, isn't it? Oh, man, it, it's so, it, so it, I, mean, I think about my, like my wife, Elisa, um, we've been married now for about 19 years, and there's a lot I know about her. You know, she likes gardening and flowers and interior design and sweet potatoes and coffee and loves to paint. Um, used to be a cat person and then we got a dog and she repented um, <laughs> but, you know there's a lot i know about her um but there's also a lot that, that i don't know and by that i mean like there are times in our relationship when she'll surprise me or i'll hear a story from her past i'm like oh i didn't know that or she'll respond to a situation in a way i didn't expect and, and it's like there's almost a sense of there's still mystery in our relationship after 19 years there's still ambiguity sometimes even tension and, and I would argue that that, um, that that tension or mystery can actually be a sign of health. It can be a sign of friendship. It can be a sign of, of passion. Because if I literally knew everything about my wife, like if I knew every thought, every insight, every emotion, every placement of every atom, um, and if I knew exactly where she was at any given second, I think not only would that be slightly creepy, but it would also hinder the progression of love. Um, true love is the pursuit of love, right? Um, it, it's it's the the journey. It's the fact that there are questions that are waiting to be unearthed and questions aching to be asked and dimensions of her that I don't fully understand. 
So it's the pursuit of love that leads to, leads to the discovery of love. And I think the same thing is true in our relationship with God, that, that mystery is the lifeblood of intimacy. And, and because God is infinitely knowable, <laughs> that means there are infinite aspects of him to discover. And that, that's a beautiful thing. That's an exciting thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Um, I, I can't believe that we are almost out of time already. That went far too fast. Oh my. But uh, you know what I want to do is come back and I want to look at chapter eight of your book where you talk about the silence of God. But before we do that, let's talk about um, this difference between doubt and unbelief. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, I think that's such a crucial point. Um, I think one of the reasons why uh, many Christians don't know what to do with doubt or don't know how to respond to their own seasons of doubt or people in their life who doubt is because we have a theology of doubt that's a little skewed. Um, we, we assume that doubt is the same as unbelief. But when you actually look in scripture, um, it's two separate words. So like the word doubt in, in, in the Greek language is the word diakrino, and it just means to separate or to be torn. Um, it's related to a Latin word, dubitare, which means two. So when you doubt, it's like you're in two minds. Or think the book of James, it says the person who doubts is like the person tossed by the waves of the sea. You're kind of going back and forth. Hmm. So it, it, it really it, inherent in this idea of doubt is you're being torn in two separate directions between what you believe about God and some life experience between theology that you've learned in church. Yet now that theology is being you know, challenged in college or whatever. So it's this idea of two-ness or dividedness. Um, the word unbelief is a totally different word. It's apostia in Greek, and it means an unwillingness to believe. Um, so you think of like Mark chapter five, where Jesus left the village because of their unbelief. So what, what you see in scripture is doubt is saying, you know what, I'm kind of torn and I don't know what's right or wrong, or I don't know what I believe. Unbelief, though, would say, I really have made up my mind. Um, so one example of this, my wife and I uh, lived in Oxford in, in 2010 for a couple of years. And um, I, while we were there, I saw in the newspaper this article that was written by the late Stephen Hawking, who he was a you know brilliant physicist. He was also an atheist. Um, he passed away, I think, a year or two ago. And uh, Stephen Hawking in this, in this article, he was like beating up on Christianity. And he had this line where he said, Christianity is a fairy story for those afraid of the dark. The people who wrote this article, they then went to John Lennox, who is a professor at the University of Oxford, a brilliant mind. He's also a passionate Jesus follower. And they're like, hey, look, your colleague, uh, Stephen Hawking, has just pointed out that Christianity is a fairy story for those afraid of the dark. What do you have to say? And his response is so brilliant. He said, no, atheism is a fairy story for those afraid of the light. Mm-hmm. It's just this brilliant response. But he's like pointing out on something here about, about Hawking's worldview where his take on God and Jesus and Bible and faith and all of that, well, it wasn't just an atheism. It was more like an anti-theism. It was an unbelief where he's made up his mind saying, you know what, I'm kind of closed myself off uh, to any further evidence uh, when it comes to belief in God. You know, So that's unbelief. It's that kind of resolved, uh, hardened, 
stake in the ground, you can't change my mind perspective. Um, whereas doubt is, is a different space entirely. Doubt is saying, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I'm wrestling, like John the Baptist in prison when he's like, are you the one or should we look for another? Right. Or doubting Thomas, who's like, are, are you... Is that really you? Are you the resurrected Lord or David in the book of Psalms? I mean, the list is so long. Doubt is that space of, okay, I really want to know God more and I'm I'm searching for the answer. Mm. That's really, really good distinction. And, uh, well, I can't wait to continue uh, this conversation in our next episode. But before we go, can you just let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and your church and your ministry and how they can get a copy of this book. Yeah. So um, the book's available uh, online or uh, Barnes and Noble, um, Christian bookstores. Uh, it's called When Faith Fails, Finding God in the Shadow of Doubt. And, uh, and then as far as getting in touch, um, so I just kicked off a podcast um, called Pursuing Faith. And that's up on iTunes and Spotify, iHeartRadio, all of that. Um, so that's a good way to get connected with us. And then I'm on social media. Um, just my name, Dominic Dillon. All right. You know, when Dominic was talking about how we are made for intimacy with God, I was reminded of what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 107, verse 8 and 9, when he said this, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And you know what's interesting to me about that verse is although the Lord does satisfy the longing soul or what we might call the void that we feel inside from being separated from God because of our sin, and that void gets satisfied when we come to Christ and we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that longing in our soul gets filled and it gets satisfied by Jesus. But the fact is, I'm constantly running into Christians who are still discontent. And I believe doubt and discontentment often work hand in hand. Now, sometimes the reason for our discontentment is because we get sucked into this consumer mentality society that we live in. And that hunger to consume is never, ever satisfied. But in reality, I believe the pull toward consumerism is really because we don't understand the three built-in longings that we have in our hearts as believers. Because when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of the living God comes to live inside of our hearts. And the Holy Spirit inside of our hearts begins to create three distinct longings. I wrote a book about this called Longings of the Soul, where I described how the Holy Spirit is creating this longing inside of us for three specific things. Number one, for intimacy with God. You see, Paul wrote in Galatians chapter four, verse six, that the Holy Spirit is inside of our hearts and he's constantly crying out, Abba, Father. And that term Abba means daddy. Think about that. Every day you wake up and the Holy Spirit's going, Daddy. Daddy is a term of intimacy. In other words, every day the Holy Spirit is pulling you toward the Father, toward intimacy with the Father. The second built-in longing we have in our hearts because of God's Spirit residing there is for heaven. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he 
mentions, he's talking there about our spiritual destiny, that heaven is our destiny, that we have been made for heaven, that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And Paul says there in that passage where he's talking about our eternal destiny, he says, and God has given us his Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, as an assurance, as something that we can bank on that heaven is our home, that heaven is what is waiting for us. And so the reason why we can still feel discontentment in this life, even after we've been satisfied by Jesus, is because we have this built-in longing in our hearts for intimacy with God, for heaven, and number three, to make an eternal impact with our lives here on planet Earth. You see, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 10 that we are God's workmanship that we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, we've been saved for a purpose, to impact our sphere of influence for Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit is always pulling us in those three directions, toward intimacy with God, reminding us that heaven is our real home, not this place, and then he's also reminding us that of what we're to be doing here on planet Earth while we're waiting for heaven is that we're to be making an impact for Jesus in our world. And that's what Longings of the Soul is really about. I encourage you to get a copy, read it. It'll bless you. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. But we here at The Basics of Life are blessed to bring these Bible studies and interview conversations your way. And if they are a blessing to you, we would love to hear from you. So I'm gonna turn things over now to Sean and he can let you know how you can get a hold of us and how you can get a copy of my book, Longings of the Soul. I think it could be a great read for you in starting off the new year. I'm continuing my conversation with pastor and author Dominic Doan. Dominic, welcome back to the program. Thank you. It's great to have you here. And Dominic has written an excellent book called When Faith Fails, Finding God in the Shadow of Doubt. And if you missed our last edition, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it because we talked about the importance of this book and why it was written. And we also talked about the difference between doubt and unbelief. And it was some really, really good stuff. But we are devoting this program to my favorite chapter in the book, which was chapter eight, which deals with the subject of the silence of God. And Dominic, you start this chapter with this statement. The journey of faith is most exhilarating when we hear the voice of God. And I couldn't agree more. I have personally never heard an audible voice of God talking to me. But I have experienced probably the closest, the next closest thing when the presence of God's spirit is just so thick that you sense God communicating with your spirit. And I think that's just, you know, the best but there have been even more times when God is silent, where it can feel like he's distant, where my prayers aren't penetrating the ceiling. How have you dealt with those times in your life and in your walk with Jesus? Yeah, so I, I can definitely relate to what you're saying there, because I mean, there are, there are times where 
man, hearing God's voice is like the most beautiful, exhilarating thing, whether it's like a, a message at church that moves you or a time of worship that grips your heart or maybe you witness a healing or a miracle or a verse from scripture just like jumps off the pages into your life. Um, like moments like that, there, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. Um, and I think it's because those moments are so beautiful that it makes the moments of when God is silent so, so painful um, because there's something in us innately that we desperately long to connect with God. Um, you know, I think of that uh, book, East of Eden uh, by Steinbeck, um, I believe, how now, now we're in a place where we're disconnected from Eden. In Eden, there was intimacy with God mm. and closeness with God. And, and now that we're east of Eden, um, there, there's part of our heart that's like languishing for home. We, we long to reconnect. We want to go back to the garden. We want to walk with God in the cool of the day, like Adam and Eve did. And so it's like deep, deep in our DNA, our, our spiritual life um, to want to hear from God. And, and when we don't, it's confusing. I think it's disorienting. It's painful. And I, I also think it could be a source of, of doubt. Um, there's a philosopher named Michael Ray, and he said that God's silence is painful for us. Uh, many believers experience crippling doubt, overwhelming sadness, and ultimate loss of faith as a result of ongoing silence. And I actually know people who have lost their faith because of years and years of not hearing from God. Um, so for, for me, um, I've gone through times like that, and I, for, I have to begin in a place of honesty, um, not trying to pretend that everything's okay, um, mm. but opening myself up with God and with others even and saying, look, I, I need to hear from you. Or like David in the book of Psalms, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said that on the cross right. as well. And, and and that's another point too, is like remembering when you go through those seasons that you're, you're not alone. Uh, scripture is filled with people who wrestled with God's silence. Um, and yet he, the, the beautiful reminder to me is that even in those times of silence, even in those times where it felt that God was a million miles away, we're reminded over and over again in scripture that God was at work behind the scenes. Um, a few years ago, uh, I had a chance to go to the, the Vatican in Rome, which was fascinating. And they have this big museum there with uh, just all these things that they've accumulated over the years from different cultures and different countries. And I saw these tapestries that were, were hanging, uh, Renaissance era tapestries. And what's so fascinating about them is you, you look at one side of a tapestry and it's art, right? You can see pictures and people or buildings or w w whatever it is that they've de depicted. Um, but you look on the other side of a tapestry and it's like a tangled mess. Right? Mm -hmm. It's just like knots yeah. and, and threads sticking out everywhere. And, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to it. And, and, and I'm reminded of that when it comes to, you know, God's silence, because when you're in the midst of it, you're like, this is a mess. I'm not hearing from you. This is confusing. I'm not sure what I'm doing with my life. But the promise that God gives us in his word is even in those times, that he is at work, that he's creating something that we, you know, we are his poem. Ephesians says we are his work of art. He is the potter. We are the clay. And, and so learning to trust that even in the times of silence, God is still at work. Hmm. 
It's so good. And I know a lot of times my life feels like the other side of the tapestry where this nothing is mm. making sense. And, Absolutely. and I'm trying to feel, God, what are you doing in the midst of all of this? And, you know, I love the example you give in the book using David of how the silence of God can actually create thirst in our hearts for the Lord. Can you expand on that idea for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in, in Psalms, you know, David has all these lines about, oh, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul longs for you. My soul thirsts for you in, in a dry and weary land. Or another Psalm where he says, as the deer pants for the waters, so my soul pants for you. So this is, again, sense of languishing and, and longing. And it's almost like the silence of God created in David a greater thirst, a greater passion to know God, um, which makes me wonder, could that be a reason why God allows us to go through seasons like that? Because he's wanting to create more thirst in us. Um, I came across a, a, an article that was put out by Rutgers University. Um, and they did this whole study of trees. And they, they found that in times of rain, uh, that the roots of the trees remained relatively shallow but in seasons of drought, what it did to the tree is that it caused those roots to go deeper, pressing into the earth, uh, searching for, for water and nutrients. And, and I, I think the same thing can happen in our life. Like in those times where, sure, like every day we're hearing from God and every verse is speaking to our heart and every song at church brings us to tears. That's great. But I wonder, is it deepening our roots? Because the, the view is great on the mountain, but the, the fruit actually grows in the valley, right? It's in those times of, oh, God, you're my God. I thirst for you. I long for you. And it's like the, the roots of our soul are forced to go deeper and deeper. It's like what Jesus taught. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst mm -hmm. for righteousness, for they will be filled. So I, I just wonder, you know, silence, could it be God's way of generating that thirst within us? Could it be is catalyst to grow, mature, animate, and develop our faith. Yeah. Well, I know in my life, I've definitely seen that to be the case. In fact, there was a time early in my, um, you know, walk with the Lord when, you know, I was having this incredible experience where just God's word had become so alive to me. And I went from mm. spending like 30 minutes a day, you know, reading it to like four hours a day studying it because it just was so rich. And then all of a sudden, just without, you know, after about a six months of just these incredible times, every single day, all of a sudden it was like, I hit a dam, you know, it was like, suddenly it was dry. And, and, uh, you know, I thought it was maybe the chapter I was reading. And so I moved on, but it was like, it just, it was the weirdest thing. And it was almost like the Bible could have been in Japanese because I just wasn't getting anything out of it. And then I started thinking like, okay, is it me? Am I in sin? Did I do something wrong? And it was so frustrating. And I was wrestling for, you know, about um, a good week and um, just really getting frustrated, really getting discouraged. And, and then I heard a message um, at church where somebody was talking about when Jacob wrestled with the Lord and, mm -hmm. uh, and he said, yeah, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And, and something resonated with me in that. And so the next day I got up real early and I basically told the Lord, I'm not going to leave this room until you speak to me. And I read wow. and I read and I went back to that very same chapter that I had first started where, you know, this, this 
dryness, this dam kind of happened. And, and I kept reading it and reading it and praying and wrestling, you know, with the, the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, after about 45 minutes, it was like the dam broke. And suddenly yeah. it's like I could not write fast enough the things that God was showing me out of this chapter that a week earlier meant nothing to me. And in that, God was like showing me something I think that was just has become very revolutionary in my life with the, with him. You know that, hey, sometimes you're going to need to wrestle and I'm the rewarder yeah. of those who diligently seek me. And you know, in this age of fast food and microwave ovens and all of that, that's sometimes hard for us as believers, isn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we want everything now. Um, but in Psalms, you know, while you're sharing, I, I thought of that verse where David said, be still yes. uh, before the Lord, wait for the Lord. And that, that word uh, for, for wait uh, can be related to this Hebrew word, which means to twist or to rise in pain. Um, and it's like the, the ancient Hebrews had this idea that waiting uh, and being still can be painful sometimes. Mm. It's, it's really, really hard. Um, but it's in that time of waiting, seeking the Lord, like Jacob, I'm going to wrestle with you all night, or Habakkuk, who went up on his tower and uh, said, I'm not going to leave <laughs> until you yeah. show up. Right. Um, it, and I think it's in, in those times where I think God can honor that and uh, cause our faith to grow. Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, another thing you brought up in this chapter that I thought was so helpful, but I had actually never thought about it in, in my relationship with God is you explained how two people who are comfortable with one another can be, you know, together and riding in a car or doing something and and not be talking and and mm -hmm. it's not awkward, you know, and I experienced right. it with my wife. I mean, we have awesome conversations and she's my best friend, but but there are times when we're just like in the car and we're just listening to music and and it's okay. And, and and the thought dawned on me and you kind of alluded to this is like, why shouldn't it or why can't it be that way with God? And, you know, any any thoughts about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because I um, was at a restaurant a few years back and I saw this old couple sitting there and they were just sitting there so peacefully just waiting for their food. They And they weren't saying a word. And I was watching it and I just thought, oh, you know, that. It's so, it's so beautiful. You know, they've known each other for so long and they're, they're not saying anything. They're just happy to be together. And then <laughs> the food arrived and the, the wife, they're like in their eighties or nineties. She reached into her purse and pulled out dentures and handed them to him <laughs> and, then he, and then he put them in and then they started to talk. But, um, <laughs> but, but you know, there, I, I think that Silence sometimes can be a sign of, of intimacy. Like when, when you first meet someone, say you're dating someone and, you know, those early days is like all this nervous energy and you want to put your best foot forward and you want them to know the best version of you. And you're like, you know, super just like talking too fast or awkward moments or whatever and trying to impress them. And, that, and that's fine. But the, the further on you get in the relationship and the longer you get to know a person, you get to know not just their verbal cues, but their nonverbal cues. Mm. You, you, like I can, I can walk into a room and my wife can take one look at me and, and she's like, what's wrong? Yeah. And it's like, she, she just knows there's so, that something about, I don't know, the, the look in my eye or the way I'm, I'm you know, walking or whatever. She, just those subtle little cues she can pick up on. And, and that's, I think, a sign of like intimacy and knowing 
And I think there are times in our relationship with God um, where it kind of follows the same metric, where we start out, give our life to Jesus, and it's like, man, just this incredible, beautiful thing. And every moment you're like in the presence of God. I mean, I see this played out all the time with new believers. And it's one of the reasons I love new believers. It's like they're constantly just hearing new things from God. But it seems like later on in our walk with God, we can go through times where it's less about all those obvious verbal things and it's more about the subtle things. Yeah. And, and that's what I just wonder is what if God is teaching us a deeper level of intimacy and teaching us not just to hear him, but to listen. Listening is kind of a, a deeper thing, I think, than hearing um, because listening true, like understands the heart and mm-hmm. the motive. And what if in those seasons of silence, God is drawing the, that out of us and kind of tuning our heart, like that old hymn says, to my heart to hear, hear your voice, your grace, whatever. Um, in those moments, like where our heart is being broken open to receive more from him, the roots are going deeper. Hmm. That's, yeah, that is uh, such a great uh, insight in that. And it's so freeing, you know, it brings us to a point where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I, if, if I feel like God's being silent right now, I don't need to get frustrated. I just need to rest and lean in, you know, mm-hmm. and, and know that, um, you know, he's gonna, uh, you know, he's moving and he's working and, and, you know, and just when you were pulling me in with the, these ideas of how the silence of God can produce thirst and how, you know, mm-hmm. great faith often arises out of silence, then you threw this curveball in the book when you said, uh, is God really or ever really silent? And you said, you see, if we believe in the God of the Bible, by definition, we believe in a God who endlessly speaks. So explain that mm-hmm. for us, what that means for us as Christians, you know, following uh, Jesus on a daily basis. What, what does that mean in our faith journey that God is endlessly speaking? Yeah, so this for me has kind of been a game changer because it, it changes the conversation about the silence of God. Yes. Um, if we believe in the God of the Bible, like by definition, we believe in a God who speaks. Um, Genesis, that's how that's how the book begins, right? God speaks creation in, into existence. Let there be, let there be, let there be, and, and the world is made. And then all throughout scripture in the Old Testament, God speaking, he spoke to Adam and Eve, he spoke to their descendants, he spoke to the prophets and the priests and the kings. Um, He spoke in a myriad of ways through poetry and and the arts and through these prophets who would come on the scene. And then you go to the New Testament, John chapter one, which is kind of a retelling of Genesis one. In the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was God and the word was with God. So Jesus defines himself as one who speaks, right? Uh, he is the word. And then you come to Hebrews one and in Hebrews one, it says God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various places. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And, and so it's like Hebrews lays out this argument that God's word actually sustains reality. God is a God who is speaking constantly. And so the reason why this was a game changer for me is I had kind of had this limited myopic view of what the voice of God sounded like. (laughs) I I thought, well, it's just going to be that moment where I just hear this audible voice or a a, a word in scripture, just, you know, bolt of lightning speaks to me so powerfully. It's undeniably. And and that's great. Like God can do that. 
But I actually, if, if we open our eyes further, we, we begin to realize, wait a minute, because he's the word, that means he's speaking in so many different ways, primarily through his word, through his spirit, through church and community. He can also speak. You step outside. It's a beautiful day right now in Portland, which is rare, <laughs> but <laughs> step outside and you just see the, these colors and the, the blue sky. And like in those moments, like God can speak to your heart. And um, there, there's this beautiful story um, in Exodus where God told Moses to take up off his sandals because he was standing on holy ground. Mm. And for years, Moses wouldn't have thought that that ground was holy. Um, for him, it was where he worked. It was where his sheep, you know, went back and forth for 40 years. It was just like his place of employment. And then, and then God gives him a different way of looking at it. He says, actually, this ground that you thought was ordinary is holy. Mm. And I think as followers of Jesus, there's no such thing as ordinary ground. Like every moment, wherever we're at right now, driving in the car, at home, doing the dishes, working out at the gym, hanging out with our kids at school, like wherever you're at as a follower of Jesus, he is with you. His presence, his spirit is inside you. That means this moment right now is holy ground. And what if he's speaking to you even in subtle, nuanced ways? I, 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 I wonder if that's what Jesus meant when he said he has ears to hear, let him hear. Yeah. Wow. That, that's an amazing insight. And I think a really good place to uh, end this segment here on the silence of God. And, and I think what, what you just said does for us is it brings us to a place of, of really desiring to slow down and to rest mm -hmm. and to be able to hear, because that's our biggest problem, I think, is we're often just so distracted and, you know, we've got earbuds in our ears or we've got our phone on or, and, and we are missing those holy ground moments that are always that are all around us um, yeah. because we can find ourselves being too distracted. And, and that's where I think we need to take some time to and discipline to kind of slow down and and really see that on a daily basis, God's moving and working and speaking all around us. And that's exciting, isn't it? Oh, it is so, it's so exciting. Yeah. It just changes everything because then you can go through life um, with a sense of anticipation and expectation. Yeah. There, there, there's this poet, um, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and she said that earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. Mm, wow. That's so good. Only he who sees takes off his shoes. Well, that concludes our program for today. And Dominic, I want to just thank you for taking the time to be with us. And once again, why don't you tell us the, the title of your book and how people can find it and how they can uh, find you on social media and um, your podcast and all that. Yeah. Um, so it was such an honor to, to be on the show with you, Rob. And um, yeah, my book, it's called When Faith Fails, Finding God in the Shadow of Doubt. And it's on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, Christian bookstores. Um, and then, yeah, we just started a podcast called Pursuing Faith, where we're taking some of these themes of faith and doubt and unpacking it further and having conversations with interesting people. Um, and then you can just reach out personally. I'd love to hear from anyone. Uh, and if you have any thoughts or questions or just want to get in touch, um, uh, on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, it's just Dominic Doan. 
Awesome. And uh, so that's all the time that we have for today. And I do want to encourage you to get a hold of this book. Um, it's the be best book that I've read in 2019. And I read a lot of books. And this one really, really spoke to my heart, really resonated with me, really uh, just encouraged my faith in the Lord. And so thank you once again for tuning in to The Basics of Life.